washed us and cleansed us. Praise the Lord. All right, you can go ahead and be seated. Praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. All right, take your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Acts, and we are continuing in our series on the book of Acts. As we uh, turn to Acts, uh, we're going to be in Acts chapter 2. Um, we approach this subject today. Oh, sorry. Thanks, Rob. Appreciate that. Is that better? Can you hear me now? All right. So, um, so as we approach um, the message today, I really want to encourage you to have um, a heart that is hungry for everything that God has for your life. Are you hungry today? It's really important because the Bible says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, because when we're hungry, then we are filled. Amen? And it's important not to come to the Lord saying, well, I'm sufficient, I'm content, you know, I'm fine, I don't really need it. The Lord has so much more for our lives, so much more that He wants to pour into our lives. He wants to use us in such greater ways, but we need to have an attitude, we need to have a mindset that says, Lord, I want everything that you have for me. Lord, I don't want to miss out on anything. I don't want to come behind in any gifting or any empowerment that you have for my life. So this morning, as we look at Acts chapter 2, I want us to be hungry. I want us to be open in our minds as, as to what the Word of God says and what God wants to deposit into our lives. Acts chapter 2, verse 38. you bring your Bibles today? Amen? Got to bring your Bibles to church, right? Yes? Why do you bring your Bible? Amen. You got to check out the preacher. Make sure he's giving you the Word. All right. Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Then Peter said to them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise, can you say the promise? The promise is to you and to your children, to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. This morning, I want to talk to you about a promise. A promise that your Heavenly Father made to you, made to your children, meaning all successive generations, and all that are afar off, as many as the Lord shall call. How many have been called by the Lord today? Yes? So that means there's a promise that God has for you. Jesus talked about this promise in Luke 24, verse 49. He said to his disciples, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. But tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. And then in Acts chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, Jesus commanded his disciples to not depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me, for truly John baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. The promise of 
the Father. Now, something I want us to understand, just giving us a little history and a little context here, to Jesus' followers who were Jewish, the term promise of the Father was very significant. Because every Jew knew exactly what that statement referred to. It was a reference to an Old Testament prophecy that was made from the prophet Joel in Joel chapter 2. And Joel prophesied around 750 B.C. And this is what Joel said in Joel chapter 2 verse 28. It shall come to pass that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, your sons And your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, your young men shall see visions, and also on my men servants and on my maid servants I will pour out my spirit in those days. Doesn't that sound good? I will pour out my spirit on them in those days. This was a long-awaited a long-anticipated promise that every Jewish person looked for. It was a promise that every man, that every woman, that every young person could actually experience personally the power and the presence of God in their lives. More than just religion, more than just going through all of the legalities of the law and reading liturgy and going through the motions of worship, they would experience God. They would be touched by God, and they would touch God. They would feel His presence. They would sense His presence. They would know His presence. They would hear His Spirit. They would know what it means to be empowered by God, to have the power of God in them and working through them. Hallelujah. This was the promise that they were looking for. Because understand something. Up until that time, there were only a few select special people that could ever really experience the power of God and the presence of God in a tangible way, on a personal level. There were those who were, who were prophets, who would know the anointing and the presence of God, a few priests, maybe a couple of kings if they were godly enough. Very few people would know the manifest, tangible presence of God in their lives. But this spoke, Joel spoke of a time to come when God would pour out His Spirit on all flesh. Can you say all flesh? He would pour out His Spirit on all flesh. Not just the prophet, but any person could prophesy. Not just the priest, but any person could know the presence of God. Not just a king, but any man Any woman, any young person could know the guidance and the wisdom and the life-equipping, life-transforming power of the eternal, omnipotent God coming upon them, filling them, and flowing through them. And this is a promise that the Jewish people held on to for the next eight centuries, that day when they could know the power of God. So now, fast forward about 750 years to the time of John the Baptist, who ministered around 30 A.D. And in Luke chapter 3, verse 16, he said this, I indeed baptize you 
with water. But one is coming, mightier than I, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. The Holy Spirit and fire. Can you say fire? Fire. Now listen, to the Jew, the, the metaphor of fire was very significant. It had a very special meaning. Because it was fire that Moses saw on the burning bush. It was a pillar of fire that led the Israelites through the wilderness. It was fire that came down from heaven and consumed those burnt offerings. Fire was a symbol for the active, manifest, tangible presence of God. And when John said that Jesus would baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire, he was saying that this baptism would be a baptism into the very presence of God. Not just in a metaphorical way, not just in in an ethereal, philosophical way, but in a tangible way where you would know His presence, where you would encounter His presence, where you would sense and feel His presence, where His presence would be in you and move through you. Hallelujah. And so now we come back to Acts chapter 2. This chapter begins where we left off last week. The disciples were told by Jesus to get themselves to Jerusalem and to be in Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Father to be fulfilled. So you know the story. They gathered there in that upper room. They were praying. They were seeking God. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like as of a rushing mighty wind, the Bible says, and it filled the house where they were sitting and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Amen? And tongues of fire appeared upon them, and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them the utterance. Hallelujah. And as this happens now, the, 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 the presence of God is so tangible in that room that they all get filled with the promise of the Father. The Spirit of God fills them in such a powerful, dynamic way that they just are starting to erupt in, in worship and, and praise and, and speaking in this new language. And they actually they go out into the open area where there are all these people gathered. And, and there's a crowd of people there because you know this is the celebration of Pentecost, which means there would have been people from all kinds of surrounding lands and cities. And so these people start hearing these disciples of Jesus now speaking out in tongues in other languages. Some of the languages are recognizable. Some are sounding like gibberish. And so what happens now? The the people that are watching this and hearing this, they start mocking them. They start ridiculing them. They start criticizing them. They say, what are you guys, what is going on here? Who is doing, why are you doing this? Are you guys all drunk? By the way, it was only about nine o'clock in the morning. And so when all of this is happening, imagine this scene. You've got the disciples. They're out there. They're, they're celebrating. They're worshiping. They're praising. They're anointed by the Spirit. They're speaking in tongues. And then there's this crowd pointing at them and laughing and mocking them. And then Peter steps up. 
and he raises his voice amidst all of this chaos going on. And he says to them, he gets their attention, and he says to the crowd, these people are not drunk as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. But then, this is what he says, this, what you're seeing, what you're witnessing here, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And then he goes on to, to preach a sermon. And in that sermon, he explains everything that I just explained to you. He quotes from Joel, just as I quoted from Joel. He reminds them of the promise of the Father, that God foretold a time when His presence and His power would be available not just to a priest or a prophet or a king, but to every person. And he says, what you are seeing happening right now, this rushing wind, these flames upon them, these people speaking in tongues, is the demonstration that God is fulfilling His promise. Hallelujah. And then he goes on to say in verse 38, which we opened up with, that this promise is unto you. He turns it back now on the crowd. All of these Jews that are mocking and pointing and wondering what's going on. And he says, this promise is not just for these people here. He says, this promise is for you. And it is for your children. And it's for all that are afar off. In fact, Peter says, it is for as many as the Lord our God will call. Hallelujah. So what's that mean? It means that the promise of the Father to put His power and His presence upon the followers of Jesus Christ is not just for those who are gathered in the upper room. It's not just for the crowd that was mocking them. It's for everyone who is a follower of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Them that are afar off and all that the Lord shall call. That promise is for you and for me. Come on, how many believe the Word of God today? That's really where we have to get back to now. Do we really believe the Word of God? That the Word of God has promises that come from a living, powerful, almighty God who is working in the world today. Not a paper God, not a silent God, not a God that can be told to sit down and shut up, but a God who's always standing up and moving actively. He's moving in the world today. And His power is moving. He never stopped moving. His power never stopped in the world today. What has stopped today is we stopped believing it. We've stopped believing it. We have. And we have made an experience in God where there's no power in our lives and there's no presence of the Holy Spirit and we have become so subnormal that subnormal has become normal to us. Right? Normal is the power of God. Normal is the miraculous. Normal is signs and wonders. Normal is healing. Normal is being baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit. That's normal. That's normal. But today when we see what the Bible says is normal, we say, oh man, that's, that's extraordinary. That's just, that's abnormal. No, that's not, that's not abnormal. That's normal. It just seems abnormal because what we are living is subnormal. How many, how many are following with me today? And what's even worse is that in the church today, we have, we have 
kind of made it and we've accepted this absence of God's power in our midst and we've rationalized it by adjusting our theology. We've adjusted our theology to explain away why we should not be seeking or hungering or looking for the power and the presence of God today. And the devil has done a great job. The enemy has done a great job in blinding Christians to what God has for them today. And getting us to the point where we're so content by binging on Netflix and all of the attractions of the world that we have no hunger in our soul for the things of God because our flesh is so preoccupied and filled up by the things of this world. Are you hearing me today? Amen? I mean, we're living in an age where, where, where born-again people, Christian people can binge for six, seven hours on Netflix and not even have a prayer life. Boy, it just got real quiet. I saw people put their masks back on. <laughs> and then come to church, and I talk about a supernatural God who is, who is standing up in the world today, who hasn't sat down, and He is not shut up, and He is not silent, who is living and active and moving in this world today. And I talk about having a divine encounter with a supernatural, miraculous God, and we say, oh, I don't, I don't, I don't know about that. I'm going to go home and watch Netflix. That's where we're at today, right? And we're feeding on Fox News and we're feeding on CNN and all the narratives of this world and we're getting pulled into all the confusion and all the chaos and all the hatred and all the division. I'm talking about born-again people of God and we have no hunger for the things of God. We have no interest in the things of the Spirit because our flesh is so satisfied, our soul is so satisfied by everything that our eyes are seeing. And I believe that God is standing up in the church today. The Holy Spirit is moving in the church today and is looking for a people, even a generation. And we need to be careful because if we're not careful, our generation can be bypassed by what God wants to do in this world today. And he'll go right to our young people. Young people, are you hearing me today? He'll step right over us and he'll go right to our... Because I'll tell you, there's some young people that are hungry for God. There are some teenagers that are hungry. There are some teenagers that are in revival. And God is looking for people who are not going to be embarrassed or not going to be ashamed, right? Who are, who are not going to say, well, that's, you know, that's just kind of extreme. He's looking for people who are saying, God, whatever you have for me, I want it all. I want it all, God. Everything. I don't want to miss out on anything, God. That's what he's looking for today. Hallelujah. This is what it means to be a Pentecostal people, a Pentecostal church. doesn't mean a denomination. We're not Pentecostal because, you know, we're assemblies of God. That has nothing to do with it. We're not Pentecostal because, you know, we have Pentecostal distinctives in our doctrinal statement. That has nothing to do with being Pentecostal. Pentecostal is not a doctrine. It is not a statement. Being Pentecostal is an experience. It is a lifestyle. It is a relationship with the Holy Spirit. We're not Pentecostal because we became members of a Pentecostal church. We're not Pentecostal because we've agreed with a few points of doctrine. We are Pentecostal because we are hungering and we are thirsting and we are seeking and we are drawing from God everything that He has for us today. And I'm talking about the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. It means to be Pentecostal means that we believe the Word of God. We believe the Word of God. And if it happened to the disciples in the first century, then it's available for us today. Because the Bible says, He says, I am the Lord, I change not. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen? Amen? See, all it takes is a little bit of hunger on our parts. That's all it takes. 
This takes a little hunger because he's a God of response. He says, if you draw near to me, I'll draw near to you. If you seek me diligently, you will find me. You will hunger and you will thirst and you will, you will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all of your heart. I am a rewarder of those who diligently seek me. Amen? So we've got to change the direction of our seeking. We've got to stop seeking the things of this world and we've got to start seeking the things of God. Amen? That's what it means to be Pentecostal. We believe the Word of God where He says, I will not leave you comfortless. All these scriptures, all these promises that Jesus gave, John 14, 16, I will pray the Father and He will give you another helper that He may abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees Him nor knows Him, but you know Him for He dwells with you and He will be in you. Did you get that? Does your Bible say the same thing that it says up there? That He will be with you and He will be in you. And He will be with you. He'll abide with you forever. John 14, 26. The Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in My name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. John 16, 7. It is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send Him to you. Luke 11.13, if you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? There are some people that say that God no longer fills people with the Holy Spirit today. And I say, you're a liar. I say, you don't know what the Bible says. What do you do with that verse right there, Luke 11.13? That, the that the Father will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask. What, did God, did He change His mind? Did he, did, he, did he take that promise back? Did he withdraw that and say, well, that was, you know, that was for some other people, but that's not for you? No, no, no. No, we're people of faith who believe the Word of God. Amen? amen. We believe the Word of God. The promises of God are yes and amen. Hallelujah. There was no rescinding of the promises of God. You'll never see that in the Word of God. What is the baptism of the Holy Spirit? I mentioned this last week. To baptize something is, is to take that something and to dip it or to immerse it or to bury it or to cover it. It means that your entire being, your personality is immersed and surrounded and enveloped in the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. God wants to baptize you in the Holy Spirit. You say, well, wait, wasn't I filled with the Holy Spirit when I was born again? Yes, we talked about this last week, but it bears repeating. Titus 3.5 says that He saved us through the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. When you were saved, yes, the Holy Spirit came into you and the Holy Spirit regenerates us and makes us alive to God. As soon as you are saved, the Holy Spirit comes into you. And because of the person of the Holy Spirit in you, now you have a relationship with God. He's in you. Amen? That's what it means to be born again. He's in you. Ephesians 2.1 says, And you He made alive. He made you alive. Who were dead in trespasses and sins. It's called regeneration. The impartation of new life. But the baptism in the Holy Spirit is a completely different dynamic. It is distinct from regeneration. It is subsequent to regeneration. Let me give you an example from the book of Acts. Go to Acts chapter 8. Let me give you an example here and show you exactly what I'm talking about. The evangelist Philip went to a city called Samaria. And in Acts chapter 8 verse 5 it says that he preached Christ to them. 
And the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits, crying with a loud voice, came out of many who were possessed, and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. Verse 12. But when they believed Philip as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized in water, it's talking about. They believed and they were baptized in water. So what does that mean? We're seeing a multitude of people that were saved. They came to Christ. They repented. They were converted. They were born again. Amen. But there's more. Everybody say there's more. There's more. Look at verse 18. Now, when the, uh, 14. When the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them, who, when they had come down, prayed for them that they might what? Receive the Holy Spirit. For as yet he had fallen upon none of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. In other words, they were born again. They were regenerated. They were saved through the name of Jesus, right? But they had not been filled or baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then it says they laid hands on them and they did what? They received the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. So to be clear, yes, at salvation... The Holy Spirit gives us new life. We're born again. But the baptism of the Holy Spirit is when God pours so much more of His presence into your being that the Holy Spirit now, from within, begins to overflow and begins to burst out and begins to saturate and consume your entire being. And in fact now, begins also to manifest to the people around you in a tangible way. Jesus said it like this in John 7, 38. He who believes in me, out of, as the scripture has said, out of his heart, his belly, his innermost being, will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Hallelujah. This is what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about that experience for all who become followers of Him, born again, where God wants to do a deeper work. Think of the baptism of the Holy Spirit like being placed under the waterfall of God's Spirit. It's when the Holy Spirit so fills and so saturates us that He now is not just in us with regeneration life, but now the Holy Spirit begins to flow out from us. Think of it like this. You put up that, that illustration. This is you before you're saved. You're an empty glass. How many remember being an empty glass, right? You had no joy. You had no peace. You had no connection with the Father. When you got saved, He put His Spirit in you. Go to the next one, right? That's regeneration. Now you're a, no longer an empty glass. Now you're filled with the, the new life that comes through the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. And that's awesome, isn't it? It's awesome to be made alive unto God and have a relationship with Him. But the baptism of the Holy Spirit now is like this. It's as though God holds you under the waterfall of His presence and He just continues to pour and to pour and to pour into you to where now the Holy Spirit is just bubbling out from you in tangible, manifested ways. Hallelujah. Now you might say, wait a minute, you're telling me that the same thing that happened to Peter and the disciples and the 120 in that upper room can happen to me today? Yes! That's exactly what I'm telling you. 
Yes, read it again. Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off as many as the Lord our God will call. The real question is this. Do you believe the Word of God? That's the real question. That's the issue here today. Because I want you to understand that this being baptized in the Holy Spirit is not some fringe experience that only a few disciples uh, encountered. This was the New Testament pattern for all the followers of Christ. It started in Acts chapter 2 in the upper room at Pentecost, and then it spread out to 3,000 people after Peter preached that sermon. It continued in Acts chapter 4 when the Holy Spirit shook a prayer meeting and again filled everyone who was present. It happened in Acts chapter 8 in that revival in Samaria that we just read about. And then it happened in Acts chapter 9 when Saul was converted and became Paul and was filled with the Holy Spirit. It happened again in Acts chapter 10 at the house of Cornelius when the Gentiles were saved and were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke in tongues and prophesied. It happened again in Acts chapter 19 when the disciples of John the Baptist were baptized in the name of Jesus and filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke in tongues and prophesied. Paul wrote about it in Ephesians chapter 5 when he said, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. In Galatians chapter 5, Paul says, walk in the Spirit. In 1 Thessalonians 5, he says, do not quench the Spirit. The Apostle Jude says, build yourselves up in the faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. This is not some extreme incidental thing. This is the New Testament norm. Are we not a church that believes in the Bible as the Word of God? Yes? We believe in the, in the New Testament, and we believe that everything that God demonstrated in that church is available to us today. Amen? Amen. You might say, well, why do I need the power of the Holy Spirit in my life? You need the power of the, more than just regeneration, you need the power of the Holy Spirit in your life every day. You need to have a Pentecost just like Peter had a Pentecost. Look at Peter before and after Pentecost. Before Pentecost, Peter was a follower of Christ, but he was still carnal. He was still kind of spiritually in the dark. Before Pentecost, he was boastful. He was proud. Before Pentecost, he struggled with the fear of man. Before Pentecost, he wanted to quit he wanted to abandon his calling. He said, I'm going back to my fishing, right? Before Pentecost, he didn't understand the cross. He didn't understand why Jesus had to die. But after Pentecost, after he was filled, baptized with the Holy Spirit, Peter was radically changed. And without hesitation and without confusion and without the fear of man, we see Peter standing up when, he, when all of them are being mocked and criticized. He stands up and he confronts that hostile crowd and he said, these are not drunk as you suppose. He said, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. Hallelujah. Unashamed. Unafraid. He said, you're witnessing the word of God being fulfilled. Hallelujah. 
Not only was he bold and fearless, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit now was working through him to such an extent that as he spoke, those 300 people listening to him were cut to the heart. What is that? That's the Holy Spirit now flowing out from him, using his words, using his person to cut the hearts of those who are calloused and hard and unbelievers. Those who maybe just a a, a few weeks ago were saying, crucify him, crucify him. But now Peter, under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, is piercing their heart and exposing them for who they are and showing them the need that they have. And what does it say? That 3,000 people that day came to Christ. 3,000 people. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. This is what you need. This is what I need. This is what the world needs today. Listen, we don't need more churches. We need the churches that we have to be fired up by the Holy Spirit. That's what we need. I'm not against church planting. I'm not against that at all. But I'll tell you what, I don't know why we're worried about planting more churches when a lot of the churches that we have are dead, dead, dead. Are you hearing what I'm saying? The answer is not planting more churches. The answer is for the churches that exist today to get hungry for God and to start believing in His Word and to get our eyes off the things of the world and say, God, I want everything, everything, everything that you have for me, God. That's the answer to the world today. That's the answer to our nation today. That's the answer to our culture today. This is what we need. This is what you and I need to live as overcomers in this world. Let me ask the worship team to join me up here, please. Listen, this is not just for the apostles and the prophets and the pastors and the teachers. The power of the Holy Spirit is for moms and dads who need wisdom and guidance and discernment to raise their kids. Amen? It's for the teenager who's trying to serve God in a public school and facing so much resistance. It's for the Christ follower who's trying to follow Christ at work and who's trying to live for Jesus and being a witness for Jesus, whether it's at the office or, or, or in a classroom or driving heavy equipment or on the job site, but to try and be a testimony for the goodness of God. It's for the wife whose husband isn't saved. It's for the husband who feels like his marriage is slipping away. It's power for life and living, and living life for the glory of God. God wants you to be empowered. He wants you to be empowered, church. Let's stand together. Hallelujah. The baptism in the Holy Spirit. The infilling of the Holy Spirit. So how do I, you might say, how do I receive the baptism? How do I receive this infilling that God wants me to have? Number one, you just got to believe the Word of God. You just got to believe the Word of God. You got to look at the Scriptures and say, it's in God's Word, it's for me. Amen? Come on, say it with me. If it's in God's Word, it's for me. Say it again. If it's in God's Word, it's for me. Right? And then you have to want it. You have to be hungry. You have to be hungry. Listen, He's a God of response. He's not going to come where He's not wanted. He's not going to give gifts where those gifts are not appreciated nor welcomed. You have to want it. You have, there has to be a hunger in your heart. You have to understand it all. You don't have to figure it all out. Doctrinally, theologically, you can simply look at the Word of God. That's what I did. 
when I was 17 years old, uh, 18 years old. I didn't understand it all. I wasn't a theologian. I didn't know anything. I wasn't a pastor. I was just a kid. But I looked in the Word of God and I said, this right here, what's going on with these disciples, these people, I want that. I want it, God. God, I want it. I want everything that your Word has for me. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. And in December of 1981, I was baptized in the Holy Spirit at an altar in a Pentecostal church with the evidence of speaking in other tongues, and I haven't gone back since. Hallelujah. Almost every day, I continue to pray in in the Holy Spirit, praying in tongues, and walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. He's real. You have to want it. And you have to seek it. You have to seek it. You do. You can't can't just give up and say, well, you know, I tried that. You have to stay hungry and say, Lord... Lord, I'm believing, God. I'm hungry, and I'm seeking, and I'm asking, God. Amen? We have not because we we ask not, right? We have not because we ask not, right? And then we have to speak it. As we're, as we're seeking and we're praying, we're saying, Lord, fill me with all. We have to be willing to let go of that prayer language as the Holy Spirit starts to move in our lives. I'm not going to explain all that. We'll take some time uh, later on in this series to explain what the prayer language is all about. But for now, we're just going to start out by saying, God, I'm hungry. God, I'm hungry. Lord, I want everything that you have for me. Hallelujah. Come on, lift up a hand to the Lord right now. Just lift up a hand to the Lord. You can tell the Lord, Lord, I don't, I don't, I don't even understand all this, God. I'm still trying to, to figure it out, Lord God, but I know this, God. I'm hungry for you. I know this, God. I'm hungry. Lord, I'm hungry for you. Come on, some of you, you're, you're back here again. You've heard this message before. You've heard this prom, about this promise before, and you still, you had not received. But you know what? You just come back and say, Lord, I, Lord, I'm back. Lord, I'm back, God. I want everything, Lord. I see it in your word. I can't deny it, God. It's in your word, Lord. I want everything that you have for me. Lord, I'm hungry. I'm hungry for you. Come on, lift up both hands to the Lord right now. Just say, God, I'm hungry. Come on, just say, God, I'm hungry. As we sing this last song here, come on, just tell the Lord, Lord, I'm hungry. Hallelujah. I'm hungry for you, God. Thirsty for you, God. Yearning for you, God. More of you, more of you. Come on, just tell the Lord, I want more of you. Come on, let the Lord hear your voice today. Let him hear your cry. Let him hear your shout. Let him hear your song. Let him hear what's in your heart. For more of him. So what we're going to do today is uh, we're going to open the altars. You're here today and you want some prayer. And, uh, and uh, 
Our pastors, our leaders will be up here available to pray for you. We'll have our, our masks on, and we ask that if you come forward, you would have your mask on as well. And if you come forward, then what you're basically signifying to us is that you don't mind if we come over and pray with you and gently put our hand on your shoulder and, and pray with you. And what we're going to be praying for this morning specifically is for more of God's presence and power to be revealed in your life. We're going to be praying for you to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Some of you may have been filled. You need a new infilling. Hallelujah. You need to be put under that waterfall again. We want to pray. We want to pray for you. Amen. So I'm going to dismiss the service and in prayer. And as we dismiss, people will be leaving. If you want to come forward for prayer, you're welcome to do that. And we'll be up here waiting for you. So Father, we thank you, God, for your presence in this place today. We thank you, Lord, for the anointing of the Holy Spirit that's here even now. Lord, there are so many people that are hungry right now, God. They just want more of you. There are others, Lord, that, God, they've kind of drifted in their faith. They've drifted in their walk. They've gotten pulled back into the world and kind of lost their passion. And, Lord, they're saying today, God, I need to be revived, God. I need a new, fresh, infilling, Lord, God. I pray that, Lord, you'll meet those that are coming at the altar today. And for those that are unable to come to the altar, that, Lord, as they go from this place, there'll be a hunger in their heart, and they'll take that hunger home with them, and they'll seek after your face, Lord. Thank you, God, for your goodness, your faithfulness. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right.